the willingness of Jesus to serve others. That's next on Grow in Grace. He knew that Father God had given everything into Jesus' hands and that he had come from God and he was on his way back home. So he was confident who he was and where he was going. Now, John wants us to recognize that because he's about to do something way different than who he is and who, he, who the world knows him to be today. He rose from supper, got up from this table, laid aside his upper garments, and took a towel, literally a linen, and tied it around his waist. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. We are about to sit in on an argument between the disciples over the question, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Now it's interesting how Jesus would respond, and through it all we discover a valuable lesson on what's really important in life, and what a needed reminder for life as we know it in the year 2023. Pastor Ed Ray has us turn to the 13th chapter of John today on Grow in Grace, where we see Jesus lay down a beautiful example of what a servant should look like. So join us there if you would, and we'll get started. We're in the Gospel of John this morning, chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his upper garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than him who sent him. If you know these things, oh, how happy, how blessed are you if you do them. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that you have left it for us so that we might understand how we are to follow you. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us now that we might leave this place differently than the way we came. And we ask that in Jesus' name and all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. So we're looking a little bit at feet this morning. Somebody sent me this little story of a kindergarten student who was having trouble getting his boots on his winter and just getting started with the snow routine. And so he asked his teacher to help him with the boots. And he walked over all stumblefoot. And so she, you know, put on the, the one boot and then the other one. And he looked down and he said, they're on the wrong feet. He said, yeah, they are. Pull them back on. Pull them up. Turn around. Back on. Back on. He said, these aren't my boots. <laughs> So she took him back off, and as she pulled him the second one off, he said, they're my brother's boots. My mom makes me wear them. Mm, he gets them back on final time. She said, okay, there, we've got it. She said, now where are your mittens? He said, I stuffed them in my boots. <laughs> <laughs> one of our kindergarten students' mom sent me this little note. She said he'd put his shoes on by himself, and got them backwards, and she said, your shoes are on the wrong feet. And she said, he looked up at her and he said, Mom, don't kid me, I know these are my feet. (laughs) That's pretty good for a five feet. (laughs) Wrong feet. So we're in a section of the Gospel of John that's going to take us a few weeks to get through. It is the Upper Room Sermon, or Discourse, it's called. It's one of four sermons that Jesus gave during his three and a half years of ministry. We saw the other three over in the Gospel of Matthew, the first Gospel. And Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. We're all familiar with that. The second one is called the Kingdom of God Parables. It's in Matthew 13. The third one, the Olivet Sermon, which is Matthew 25, because he was on the Mount of Olives when he gave it. And this one, as it sounds, he was in an upper room. In fact, it's the same upper room that Pentecost would take place in, and they're there having this, quote, Last Supper. And it's communion, as we often call it today. But John leaves out all the details of the food and the drink, which is interesting because he just focuses on the teaching of that night. Now, you can easily read the other three Gospels and get exactly what happened. But this scripture is called by many the Holy of Holies of the Gospels because if the other three Gospels are the temple, then this is the inner sanctuary where you come and to the very presence of God himself. Jesus is using words that reveal to us his thinking, his emotions, right before the crucifixion. Within 12 to 14 hours, he'll be arrested. Within 20 hours, he'll be on the cross and dead. These are, therefore, the last words, the the last will and testament, if you will. The last thing that Jesus is trying to communicate. And we sense that the last words of a person we listen to more carefully because we think 
this is an opportunity to hear something really special. Maybe they'll say something that will help me in my own life. True about this. So he's ministering, of course, to his apostles. And this is a parable. He's told other parables. This is a living parable. This one he's acting out. There's a message in it. And the message is about three layers deep. And the first message is not hard to get. It is, in fact, this one of serving, of becoming a servant. Jesus is, of course, thinking of others first, and he's displaying it. But why leave out all these actions that he did at the supper? Why isn't that as important as it is in Christianity? Why did John not include it in his gospel? Well, he didn't write his until 50 or 60 years after the first three. And so he's had a chance to watch the movement of Jesus Christ, Christianity, take place, start to take a foothold in the land. We believe he wrote it from over in Ephesus, which is in what is the western shore of modern Turkey. And he's seen the communion become a ritual that people just do without really thinking it through. And so he wants to impose on us to show us the thoughts of Jesus, what Jesus was really thinking about as he broke bread and he gave the cup. And his thoughts are more important even than his actions. And number two, there is a danger of taking everything that Jesus did and turning it into some kind of religious ritual of which often communion becomes that. In fact, by John's day when he wrote this, there was in fact a movement of people just doing it as a ritual, very formal, and on one extreme, but then on the other extreme, there was a drinking party in Corinth. It literally, the Last Supper became a place to get drunk and to be a glutton. Paul wrote to the Corinthians about it. Don't do this, he said. So John wants us to focus our attention on what's going on that night. And of course, it's three parts. I called it servant's entrance because those of you who are familiar with the church, been here a long time, you know that over every door, every entranceway into this sanctuary is a little tiny sign, and it says, Servant's Entrance. Now, that's for me more than anybody else to remind me of what we're doing here. As you go out, if you look up, you'll see over every door, it says, you are entering a mission field. And my understanding of that's what church is. You come as a servant and you leave to take what you learn here to the world out there as a missionary. So the primary lesson, and it's a very important one, is this idea of being a servant. But actually, there's two more important things that are perhaps more important than being a servant. And they're kind of buried in this story. And even his disciples don't get it then. And I've heard pastors teach us that they never talk about the other two things. So that's our challenge. What's the whole lesson that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples? That would be you and me. And how we're supposed to act 
in our lives here on planet Earth. Thanks for listening to Grow in Grace with our pastor and teacher, Ed Ray. We're here in John 13 today. Three parts. First part, verse 1 through 5, this upper room washing of the feet. And then the second part, not a bath. You don't need a bath, Peter, verse 6 through 11. It's just your feet that are a problem. And then the last one, humility, keeping short accounts with one another and with God, verse 12 through 17. So that's the complete parable. Let's jump in and see what God might say to you in the midst of it. A parable in action. Now, before the feast of the Passover, it says in verse 1, some take this to be the meal that is the, it's called the night of preparation before the first day of Passover. Some people argue about that. It's not worth all the heat. There's not much light there. But when Jesus knew that his hour had come. He was aware, he knew, that he would soon depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, that's the disciples, that's the apostles, that's you and I, he loved them to the end. Now, should you go to Israel, you will probably visit this room. This is the room that history tells us, at least tradition says, that the Last Supper took place in, as well as Pentecost. And there's not too much really remarkable about it. It's on the second floor, and it's, of course, been remodeled and repeated over the years. So it probably doesn't look exactly like anything like it did originally, but it's on old maps, really early cartography. That's one from the 1400s that shows us too small a scale to see it from where you're sitting, but in the upper left-hand corner, it says the upper room. So this has been the traditional place where we believe it happened, and it just kind of gives you a feel. You need to go to Israel. You just all need to go at least once in your life. It will make the Bible come alive. And I see some faces of people that have been with us, and they're smiling and nodding their head because you'll remember it for the rest of your... You'll remember it for eternity, can I say? Yeah, I think so. So Jesus knew that his hour had come, Because something that happened, we looked at a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 12. And Jesus was on the Temple Mount teaching, and some Greek tourists came to the Temple Mount, literally. And in verse 21, they said, Sir, to one of his disciples, they said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We want to see him. And Philip and Andrew then came to Jesus and told him, and he said, The hour has come. And that was his statement of, I'm I'm about ready to die. When several Gentiles, we don't know how many there were. So these Greeks who came and said, we want to see Jesus, triggered in his mind an understanding of that the Messiah was to be a light to the Gentiles. So it was at his birth, the Gentiles first showed up. You remember the Magi, they came from Persia. And they wanted to see the king of the Jews. Now, at the other end of his life, the bookend, is this group of Greeks who said, we want to see Jesus. We want to understand who he is. And he said, that's it. I know my hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, literally. And he said that he loved them, the disciples, the apostles, to the end. 
You're a disciple if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And this is the good news, that he loved these guys to the uttermost, to the end of time, all eternity. Even though he knew one of them is going to betray him and the other ones are going to abandon him. Nobody shows up at the cross except John, the one who wrote this gospel. Did Jesus hold that against them? No. That's good news for you and for me, that he knows I'm going to blow it. It's just the reality of being in the flesh. We'll talk about that some more as we get to it. So even though we might betray him or abandon him, he's always steadfast in his love, faithful to us. The supper being ended, verse 2, so the meal's over, that's all we get. We're not told about the cup, we're not told about breaking bread, any of those things. The devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. The devil planted the seed, but the soil of Judas's heart was already prepared for it. And, and that's what happens to us. We take a thought and we think on it, we turn it over and over in our mind, and it gives a platform for Satan to stand on. And so his wicked heart desired exactly what Satan desired. They lined up and they were partners in this crime. Jesus, verse 3, knowing the Father, had given all things into his hands. Jesus knew who he was. He was God the Son. Don't get confused by that. He is God as much as the Father is God, as much as the Holy Spirit is God. He knew that. He knew that Father God had given everything into Jesus' hands and that he had come from God and he was on his way back home. So he was confident who he was and where he was going. Now, John wants us to recognize that because he's about to do something way different than who he is and who, he, who the world knows him to be today. He rose from supper, got up from this table, laid aside his upper garments and took a towel, literally a linen, and tied it around his waist. Okay. So we don't have the right picture in our mind of the Last Supper because we think of Leonardo da Vinci. Because that picture of the Last Supper shows all these guys around a table. They're all facing out at us. And they're in straight back chairs from the Middle Ages in Europe, not in the Mideast. And they have beautiful robes on little halos over the head. Those were all lies, okay? They were just people like you and like me. And they weren't even sitting on a chair. They were in front of what's called a Roman triclinium, probably. It's 18 to 20 inches high, very low. And you have a pillow that you put your, you know, your, if you're right-handed, you put your left elbow on it, and your feet are out, laid out behind you on the carpet. And you're eating. It's a lot, makes great pizza eating, because you just slide it right in, but I'm teasing. So that's the setup. We know Jesus is, it's, think of a U-shape. Jesus is at the top. We know that John, the writer of this gospel, is on his right because John said, I could just lean and put my head on Jesus' chest. And we know Judas is on his left because Jesus took a sop, a piece of bread, and handed it to him. He's right next to him. We know one other person, at least we think we do, at the table. All the way down on the far end is Peter, Simon Peter. Why is he down there? We don't know for sure, but I have a theory. I think 
Simon Peter heard Jesus teach just a few weeks earlier, and he said, when you're invited at a feast, go to the lowest seat so that the person who, the master of the feast can ask you to come up, take a higher seat. And so Peter had this all worked out in his mind. I know how to get right up next to Jesus. I'll take the low seat and Jesus will see me and bring me up. Don't know that for sure. We're just thinking that. So verse five, and after he poured water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel, this linen that he was girded with, that he'd tied around his waist. What's going on here? Completely different than our society. So think back, 2,000 years ago, you're in the city of Jerusalem. It's mostly dirt streets, although some of them are, have paving stones, but the sewer runs down the center of the street. It's, and donkeys and camels and animals walk through the streets. And so the sewer was poor, the manure was high, and you're wearing sandals. Think flip-flops, okay? It was a single piece of leather usually with a strong string that wear out occasionally, so you'd replace the string over and over again. And so now Jews as a people are very, very clean. Most of the houses, those of moderate income on up, all had mikvahs, they're called, all had baths in them. And they take a full bath every day. The poor people could go to a public male or a public female bath area. But they always washed every day. And then they'd put on their sandals and they'd walk out in the street. You go a block and you already got caca. That's the biochemist's word for it. <laughs> All of your feet. So when you came to a home, right next to the door, inside, was a bowl that had water in it. And it was an elaborate washing. You just take the water, and usually the youngest son in the house or the servant, if they were very wealthy people, would and just rinse off your feet with the rag and water. Not a big elaborate thing, but it'd take all the caca off the feet. And so that's what should have happened. It didn't happen. One of the disciples should have said, you know, I should probably do that. But it didn't happen. So Jesus stands up and starts to do it. Now, the disciples came into the room having had an argument, a debate about who was greatest. You remember Luke 22:24. Now there was a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Now that's not an isolated case. It's over in Luke 9:46 and again in Matthew 20:20. 20, 20. Matthew 20:20 20, 20, James and John, they're called the sons of Zebedee's there, send their mother to Jesus and said, hey, um, could you give my sons a special spot on your right hand and on your left hand so that they could be the greatest in your kingdom? So they're already lobbying Jesus about how great they were. Now Jesus is illustrating true greatness. This is God and he's washing feet of disciples. Are you willing to go and wash the feet of others like Jesus did? Take on the task of those that are lowly? This is how to get ahead in God's economy. We're going through the Gospel of John with Pastor Ed Ray here on Grow in Grace, and it's just a part of our Through the Bible study. 
If you'd like the CD, which contains the complete and uninterrupted message, call us today at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. And again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. We're thankful to the Lord for this opportunity to share His Word over the radio, and maybe this is a ministry you'd like to support. This would be a wonderful time to hear from you, and we'll say thanks by sending you The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. This is a classic devotional that has moved the hearts of believers for well over a century. Each chapter focuses on one attitude of God, from God's infinitude to his immutability, grace and goodness. I think you'll find it to be both theologically rich and approachable. Again, we'll send you the knowledge of the holy when you give a gift of any amount to grow in grace. Just call us right now at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And if you wouldn't mind in the next day or two, send off an email to let us know you're listening and what you're getting out of the present series in John. It's encouraging to hear how God is at work through Grow in Grace. Let us know what the Lord is doing in your life when you email us at packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us back here next time as we return to our study of the Gospel of John. This has been Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, a presentation of the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. Say let this world know me by your